so we are working through the series on the Lord's Prayer, this prayer that Jesus gave his disciples to pray, and we're going to say it again this morning. We've said it each uh, week just to get ourselves familiar with it. It's also a great prayer to memorize if you're into scripture memorization. It's not very long. It's quite easy. You could memorize the old King James Version if you like, but we're reciting the more modern uh, style. So I think we've got the words. Yes, we do. Let's say together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. And I know the part you love the most is the part after that which we didn't say because interestingly it's not part of the original. It's in your margins uh, of your Bibles but um, probably it was added a little bit later. So the original Lord's Prayer actually ends uh, there after deliver us from the evil one. Now, so this morning we're looking at this phrase, uh, give us today our daily bread. And I brought along uh, some daily bread. I brought along here a loaf, Vienna loaf. It's not a, I couldn't find a cheese Vienna. That's what I was going for, but uh, here, here it is. Vienna, $1.60 at Countdown, um, just to help cement the reality in your mind. I want you to think just for a minute about the journey of this piece of loaf of bread, the long, long journey this bread has made to get here this morning. Uh, you know, it started back on a, on a wheat farm somewhere. Uh, some, some seed was planted and looked after and, and, and the wheat was harvested by a farmer. And then uh, it's taken to a flour mill and the wheat's milled up into, into flour. And the flour is taken to the supermarket and the bakery team bake it up into this loaf of bread which sits on the shelf alongside all kinds of other loaves of bread. And then I come along and take this and I take it to the checkout, and the checkout operator um, takes my money, gives me this loaf of bread, and, and, and here we are. And there's a whole string of people that have been involved in getting this bread from the farm right through to my hands and through to this morning. And this, this loaf of bread, it represents some very practical realities, some very earthy realities. When you think about it, it represents some economic realities. Several industries are involved in producing this loaf of bread and, and, and getting it to market. Communities in New Zealand depend on these industries for their survival. It represents some financial realities in the way that it's priced, determines who can afford the nice cheese Vienna or the nice sourdough loaf and who's just going to buy the budget loaf. Uh, represents some social realities. You think of the people today, they're going to buy this loaf of bread or loaves like it. It's going to be used maybe for a for a lunch with some friends, maybe a family dinner. Someone's going to use it for their sandwiches for work tomorrow. Um, some weirdo's going to use it as an illustration in a sermon. You know, <laughs> These things are used for all kinds of purposes. And, and of course, the physical realities, bread, you know, it, just, it just symbolizes that basic thing that, that unites humanity of our need for physical sustenance. So, so there are these earthy, practical realities about a loaf of bread and this is really what the lord's prayer is all about it's about stuff as tangible and practical and concrete and real life as bread we kind of get this idea in our minds sometimes that the lord's prayer is about this otherworldly um spiritual ethereal 
vague, churchy kind of reality that it's just this prayer that we pray out there. It just hovers in the universe somewhere. But the Lord's Prayer is fundamentally about bread. Stuff as practical and real as bread. It's been that stuff all along. When, when Jesus says, pray, hallowed be your name, he's, he's not just saying some general prayer about God's holiness. He's saying, pray for God's name to be hallowed as God restores people's lives in the present, real lives, real stuff. When he tells us to pray, your kingdom come, he's inviting us to pray that God's kingdom would come right into our workplaces, our schools, our universities, our neighborhoods, our Zumba classes, our whatever, staff rooms, our, the stuff that goes on in our lives. It's real life and, and the kingdom needs to intersect every social role that we pray, uh, that we play. And when Jesus says, then pray, Give us this day our daily bread. He's not just saying just pray this general kind of prayer, um, a vague bumper sticker slogan. He's saying pray for stuff that you need, just like we did before. Pray for real stuff. Practical, real life, real issues, real struggles that, uh, that we're facing, you're facing and I'm facing. And there's a reason I think that this phrase about the daily bread is not the first phrase in the prayer, if you thought about that. That Jesus didn't start by saying, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. That's typically how we pray, isn't it? We, we, like, we go straight for the bread. We start with the bread. We start with the stuff that we need. That's generally what we do. You know, God, I need. God, I want. God, I, this is going on. And, and, you know, to a degree, that's, I mean, there's stuff that's in our lives. It's confronting us. It's, it's normal that we pray about this stuff. But isn't it interesting that this is the third section of the Lord's Prayer. And before this is, hallowed be your name, and thy kingdom come. And that tells us something about the way that Jesus wants us to pray, that we don't just go straight to the stuff that we need, but we pray somehow within a story. And we pray with this consciousness that there is a big story, this big narrative that's going on about God's name being made holy and God's kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. And somehow that story is supposed to shape the way that we pray for the things in our lives that we really need. We don't just pray in a vacuum, God, I need a new job, but we pray with this awareness that, God, what, what we're really praying about is that your kingdom somehow would come on this earth. We're praying with an awareness that God's story is moving through history towards its final destination, that one day God's going to wrap everything up, that we are, through prayer and through our life, pushing the story forward, moving the story forward, taking another step, writing the next chapter. This is the big context in which we pray for our daily bread. That doesn't mean that every time you pray, you've got to start with, well, hallowed be your name, and then thy kingdom come. It's okay just to pray like we did this morning for our needs to be met, for stuff that we, that we need, that we desire. But the point is that in our prayer lives in general and in our lives, we need to develop this awareness that it's not just about our stuff and it's not just about our needs. It's about this big story that's going on. It's about the kingdom of God coming, his will being done on earth, as it is in heaven. That's the story. That's the framework within which this prayer is to be prayed. And as we get a glimpse of that story and we live within it and we pray within it, then we start praying, give us this day our daily bread. Now, what are we praying for when we pray about daily bread? 
beyond just physically praying for a loaf of bread. There's more to it. And, and one of the things we've found, if you've tracked with us through this series, is that each of these lines in the Lord's Prayer, there are echoes of other stories going on. And Jesus is giving little hints that there's a bigger narrative that's unfolding and there's something behind the words he's actually saying. And so it is with this phrase. Turn back in your Bibles for a moment to the book of Exodus, second book in the Old Testament, really, really early on. Uh, Exodus chapter 16. Here is the story of when Israel has left Egypt and uh, they're now wandering in the desert. They've left one home. They're on their way to another home, but they are literally wandering around in the wilderness in the Sinai Peninsula, uh, wondering what's going on and wondering where they're going to get their daily bread. And God provides this incredible solution to Israel's basic physical need for basic daily bread. In Exodus 16, verse 4, Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions. Can you hear the echoes here of Jesus' prayer, Give us this day our daily bread? That's, that's exactly what God provided for the Israelites, their daily bread. I'm not sure that manna was exactly bread. I think it was slightly worse in quality, but it was just stuff. It was physical sustenance. It got them by. And God's saying, every day I'm going to rain down this daily bread from heaven. And every day you go out and you collect just enough for that day. Just enough for that day. And the only exception to that is the day before the Sabbath, and you collect two lots so that you don't have to go out and collect it on the Sabbath because that's about rest. Just think about this system for a minute of daily bread, daily collecting, daily stuff. It seems on the face of it like a bit of an unusual system. Imagine if you had to live this way. Imagine if you literally had to go to the supermarket and go to the fruit and veggie shop every day to buy the stuff you needed for that day. So you buy a certain amount of milk, and a few slices of bread, a certain amount of meat, just what you need for that day. And then tomorrow you come back, back to New World, back to Fruit World, and you get just enough for that day. Maybe some of you already live this way. And then, but you can't take any more than just what you need for that day. This would, you'd tear your hair out after a while, wouldn't you? If you were just buying, I only need six slices of bread for today. I only need a cup of milk for this day. And so you're living this day. We don't tend to live that way. And for good reason. We're, we're, we're buying groceries maybe for a week, two weeks, however long. We're living out. We're, we're looking ahead. But there's something here in this passage about the way, I think, in which God intended us to order our lives. There's something here about a rhythm of life that God wants us somehow to, to find. God wants us to discover this daily life, this daily existence. Before you can pray for your daily bread, I think the Bible calls us to start living a daily life. Because you and I don't tend to live in today very much. Like, I mean, I think if we pass the microphone around now and we really were honest about what you're thinking about right now, it's probably not me, it's probably not this message, it's about stuff coming up this week, right? It's about what, you know, how, the family dinner you're having tonight, it's about the challenges you're going to face at work this week, it's about the the mess your kids are up to and, and how you're going to deal with them. It's about the stuff that's going on this week or, or next week or next month. It's about the financial decisions you've got to make. It's about major things. You, you, we don't tend to inhabit this day. We tend to live in tomorrow, next week, next month. That's where we live. 
And you're always thinking ahead. Now, nobody's saying don't plan for tomorrow. That's sensible to do. Of course, we need to make decisions that, that affect us. We can't be complete existentialists that just don't think about anything other than this moment. But there's something to be said for a rhythm of life that fully inhabits this day. The Bible says this is the day that the Lord has made. And the problem is when you and I get so fixated on tomorrow and this week and next week, our anxiety levels kick in because we get ourselves worked up about things that we cannot control because they don't exist yet, they exist in the future. So we get nervous, we get anxious, perhaps we get greedy because we're thinking of all the stuff we can stockpile and if I can just get A, B and C and then I might get D and then EFG and on it goes and we just let our minds run down these tracks. We start obsessing about tomorrow. And in the midst of this Exodus lesson, God wants you and I to be people who live today. For some of you, the most important word in this section of the Lord's Prayer is not bread, it's today. We need to learn to be today people who are fully present today. Yes, you're thinking about what's coming up and that's natural, but you are fully alive today. Fully aware. God, what do you want to teach me today? What do you want to show me today? What have you got for me today? What do I need to be aware of? How do you want to use me today? What do you want to say to me today? It is this day. And as we inhabit this day, and we become fully aware of God's purposes for us this day then we transition to tomorrow and that becomes today and we become fully alive there's always a consciousness of more than that but it's a a willingness to say i'm going to live a daily life and focus on what god is doing around me today i don't want to miss what's going on today because i'm such i'm in such a rush to get to tomorrow we just live like today's this little tiny little bridge because tomorrow's where i really need to be that's where my problems are that's where the stuff's going on but just be here today be present fully present today Just a few verses after this uh, Lord's Prayer in, in Matthew, Jesus gave this wonderful teaching, which I've just come back to a lot recently. In Matthew 6, verse 31, he says, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And here's the, just, just soak this next verse up. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, don't we just need to hear that? Don't some of you just need to really receive that and become today people? This is the heart of the daily bread idea. It's not firstly praying for stuff and asking for stuff. It's becoming daily people. It's becoming today people. 
trusting God with today, being fully alive today. And as we do that, then out of that, we start to bring the things in our lives to God. And really, this prayer is an open invitation, just like we prayed before. It's an absolutely open invitation to bring the things in our lives today to God. Not the stuff that's going to be an issue in 20 years' time. All right, not, not I'm in my 20s, but I'm, God, I need to pray about my retirement. Not the stuff that's just out there and is not even a problem yet. I know you need a plan for stuff, and I'm not saying don't do that, but the prayer is about today. The prayer is, what's going on today? What are the struggles? It might not just affect today, but what are the things that confront me today? What are the challenges today? What are the things that are right up in my face today, the needs that I have today? And God says, I I want you to learn to become instinctive about praying about those things. This doesn't come naturally to me at all. When, When I face challenges and when there's decisions to be made and when there's things that are going on, I I will try and do one of two things. One, I'll try and fix it. Two, I'll I'll worry about it. And a distant third might be praying about it. Prayer is like number three way down the list for me. And and part of my learning with this text is to make that the first thing. It's not saying don't try and deal with the situation or, you know, whatever, but it's saying just make it a default setting that the first thing you do is pray. You're facing a health issue. doesn't matter how big, small, whatever. Learn to pray. Are you praying about that? Have you brought that to God in prayer? Even if it's a head cold, you say, God doesn't care about head. He cares about every single little thing that's going on in your life. Is there a family member of yours that is sick and struggling? Make it instinctive that you would pray for them. Stuff at work that's going on. Employees, your boss, whatever. Pray for them, for you, for the situation. Make it just instinctive. This is going to be the first thing I do. I want to take it straight to God in prayer. I know I need to do this, I need to talk to them, and I need to sort this out, but I, I'm just going to stop for a second. I just want to pray. Things that are going on in the family, relationships that have gone weird, kids that are doing weird stuff, whatever it is, gather your family together and pray. Just make it the default setting. Make it absolutely instinctive that you pray for your daily bread. Do you need a job? Are you praying? This is basic, basic stuff, but common sense is just not that common. This is how we've got to learn to live. This is the rhythm of our lives. Praying. Whenever that need arises, whenever it comes in, just turn to God, pray, and then keep praying for it. Just keep bringing it to Him. Keep laying it before Him. Sometimes we feel a bit bad about this. We feel like, oh, you know, I don't really have a right to God. so busy. He's not interested in my stuff. Well, that might be a defensible position if Jesus hadn't invited us to do just this. I mean, part of his, the prayer that he gives his disciples has this line in it. This, to me, is all the permission you need. Jesus says, pray, give us this day our daily bread. That's an open invitation. That's a, that's a wide open door. That, that tells you that God does care about your stuff. He doesn't just care about the person beside you. He doesn't just care about the really, really, really big things. He also cares about your stuff. He really does care about what you're going through. And even though someone else might be in a worse position, and even though it's not 10 times worse than it, he still cares. He really does care about what you're going through. He empathizes with the struggle that you're in. He he knows the place that you're in, and he invites you as your loving Heavenly Father. He delights in it when you come to him and you bring that request to him, not arrogantly, not, not with a sense of entitlement, but just to pray and just to ask. He loves that. God delights in it. You don't need to feel like that's not important enough. Even trivial prayers. Personally, I'm okay even with the parking space prayers. 
Do you know what I mean? Anybody else pray for a parking space? I'm, 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 look at this. Across the auditorium, hands are going up. That's amazing. I'm okay with that because, I mean, people think, oh, you know, a parking space. You know, God's got flooding in Pakistan to deal with. Why am I going to be praying for a parking space? But listen, God is God, right? He can deal with the other stuff. He's big enough to do that, but he cares. And what I love about those little minutia prayers is it brings God into the, the trivial, the mundane, the stuff that ordinarily we would think God is completely disinterested in. You start praying for that stuff and you start realizing he's right here. He's interested in this thing. Okay, he may or may not give you the parking space, but it's okay to pray for that. It's okay to pray that you get a friendly bank teller rather than someone who's just going to you know, cause you problems. It's okay to pray for your team to win as long as it's the ABs, right? <laughs> It's okay to do that stuff. God, cared. all right, it might not be the daily bread, you know, what I desperately need for today, but I think God cares. I think he's interested in that stuff. I think he loves it. Just the sheer fact that you would talk to him about that. It gets rid of this whole thing that God's only interested in this part and not this part, big things and not small things. That's just crazy. He cares about all of it. He cares about every single part of every single day of your entire life, everything you do. And the more you can learn to just bring God into it, Talk to God about it and pray to God for it. He loves it. He delights in it and he welcomes it. That's praying for your daily bread. Now, as we do this, there is one thing that we need to be careful to avoid. Turn for a moment to Proverbs chapter 30. I think this verse in Proverbs 30 verse 8 must have been in Jesus' mind when he gave this line of the Lord's Prayer because he basically quotes from it. In Proverbs 30, verse 7, it says, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. If you're looking for a verse of the Bible to memorize, you can't do much better than Proverbs 30, verse 8. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. What a wonderful verse to just shape and frame your thinking, specifically about wealth and possessions. It just keeps you bracketed in, and it really fleshes out the concept of the daily bread because here the, the idea of daily bread is set between two extremes that we are not to desire, poverty and riches. And you could, I think just about in this verse, you could just about replace the words daily bread with one word, enough. That's really what this prayer becomes, doesn't it? Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me enough. Just enough. Just enough for this day. And then enough for tomorrow. The problem, of course, is that middle-class Western Christians have a very hard time defining what enough is. And we tend to think enough is about 10 steps down the track from where enough might really be. A lot of the time we live as if we're on the verge of poverty, when in fact, comparatively, we are massively affluent. I heard the other day of a US senator from Pennsylvania arguing in Congress about um, these tax increases that were proposed for people in his area. And he was arguing that his taxpayers could not possibly afford another to pay another single cent in taxes, that they were already so hard up. And he produced this letter from a voter 
as proof of this and read it out. And this person was complaining they could not possibly afford another cent in taxes to the government because they'd already paid the government for the licenses for their two cars, their summer uh, camper van, their motorboat, and their houseboat. They couldn't possibly afford another cent in taxes. See, we tend to think, oh, we're just right on the breadline. You know, I'm just struggling just to make ends meet. The fact is, friends, if you have running water in your home, if you have one car in your entire family, if you have electricity and that can give your kids basic education, you're in the top 5% of the world's wealth. We may struggle, and those struggles are real, but we have to see this issue globally, that we are comparatively and relatively extremely, extremely wealthy. And we need to be very conscious when we pray this prayer that it doesn't just become an excuse for consumerism, especially when we're praying for material things, stuff. God welcomes us to pray for it. He delights in us praying for it. But we just have to protect. Because we live in such a consumptive society, we have to check our hearts. We have to check our motives and, and make sure we're not just, this isn't just a mask for my own pursuit of wealth and stuff and toys and assets. Only you can do this, and it it just comes through the quietness of examining your own motives before the Lord and perhaps having someone else hold you accountable. You know, at the moment, um, Anna and I are praying for a house. And honestly, I've struggled sometimes to know how exactly to pray for this. Because I'm conscious of this reality that there are millions of people in the world who don't have shelter, who desperately need a home, and, and sometimes I feel quite greedy just praying that God would bring us a house. I need to check my motives. And and I don't know exactly how to do this except to come honestly before God and say, God, you know our needs. Uh, You know that relatively we do have a lot compared to a lot of people in the world. But we just bring this need before you. We just pray for this. You know we'd we'd love a house. You know we, we feel that we need a house, God. But ultimately, you know what our needs are. You know where poverty and where riches are and where enough is. We, can, we struggle to identify exactly where those things begin and end, but you know, God, and so we bring this need for a house to you. We lay it at your feet and we ask you for it, but we surrender it to you and we just pray that you provide enough, whatever enough looks like for us. That kind of praying, that kind of thinking about our daily bread, I think gets us a little closer to the concept Jesus was talking about than just continually praying for more stuff, more stuff, more stuff, without ever checking our hearts. We've got to be careful that we don't develop a sense of entitlement or a skewed perspective of where enough really is. And as you start to pray this way, you can't help but become aware of the fact that there are millions of people in the world for whom this prayer is just not being answered right now. Think about the Alaran family, family living in the Philippines. Mr. Alaran works uh, six days a week as an ice vendor, makes 70 cents a week for his efforts. Mrs. Alaran, a few times a month, stays up all night making these coconut sweets that she sells. And each time she she does that, her her midnight efforts uh, earn her 40 cents. The only utensils they have in the home are cooking, Utensils, that's the only furniture they have. They haven't tasted meat for a long time. And the president of World Vision went and visited the Alaran family and just sat with them one day and heard their stories. And this was his reflection on their situation. This is Mrs. Alaran's words, actually, reflecting on her situation. She says, I feel so sad when my children cry at night because they have no food. 
I know my life will never change. What can I do to solve my problems? I'm so worried about the future. I want them to go to school, but how can I afford it? I'm sick most of the time, but I can't go to the doctor because each visit costs two pesos and the medicine is extra. What can I do? When Mrs. Alaran prays the Lord's Prayer, she's thinking of something very different to what you and I are thinking of. And it's very healthy for us to have in mind the stories and the situations of people like the Alaran family when we pray the Lord's Prayer because it reminds us there are huge needs. And part of the challenge, I think, of what Jesus gave us to pray is that we would also pray this on behalf of others who don't have enough. There's 100 million mothers like Mrs. Alaran in the world. 1.2 billion people living on less than one US dollar a day. And it's not just out there somewhere. There are people in our own community struggling. There are people in our own church struggling. There are people in New Zealand struggling just to make ends meet. And it's overwhelming, I know. And we get despondent and we despair because what can I possibly do? But surely, if nothing else, the Lord's Prayer calls us to pray. Pray on behalf of those who struggle. Pray on behalf of those who don't have enough. Pray on behalf of the world's poor. Pray on behalf of those who are living in poverty. Maybe this week, when you sit down and say grace each night with your family or on your own, as well as thanking God for the food that he's given you, maybe just also say, God, for those people who tonight don't have enough to eat, we pray that you'd provide for their needs as well. Why not start there? Okay, it's not solving world hunger, but it starts there. Just include those who struggle in your prayers. People, You may know people, even in this church, who are struggling and battling to, to just make a living and survive day to day. Bring those people to the Lord. Pray this prayer on behalf of others. And maybe through doing that, God will even motivate you to act. Maybe through that, he'll motivate you to do something. about Maybe as simple as uh, sponsoring a child. Maybe as simple as giving money to our relief fund. We've got a fund in the church that we use to give money to people in the church and in our community who are struggling financially. Simple as doing an internet transfer, putting some money across. This is, this is actually living out the Lord's Prayer. This is actually embodying what Jesus gave us to pray. It's not easy, is it? Not easy as, as Westerners to think these ways and pray these ways. We tend to switch off because we're so numb to it. Our consumer society conveniently numbs us to the massive needs that exist around us. Sadly, our Christian culture often numbs us to the massive needs that exist beyond ourselves. But we've got to come back to praying this prayer, not just for us, but for others. Get involved with an organization like Tear Fund that works on behalf of the poor and the marginalized and the disadvantaged. Do what you can do. But, but, but if nothing else, pray. Because this prayer is not just for our needs, it's also for the needs of others. It's also for those who need daily bread in all kinds of ways and situations. A few years after Jesus prayed, these words gave these words to us. He uh, broke bread with his disciples for the last time, the night before he he died. And he said to them when when he did this, he said, take this bread, this is my body, and do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the, the cup and he gave that around saying, drink this in remembrance of me. You, you won't, I won't drink this again with you until we drink it anew in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God. 
And Jesus, on that night, he, he pointed his disciples forward to that day when there would be a massive feast, a massive banquet. In the Bible, the, the idea of a feast or a banquet is one of the central metaphors to describe that final time when God brings everything together and restores everything and, and recreates this earth. It's going to be like a huge banquet. And there will be not only enough for us, but enough for everyone at that banquet. There will be equality. There will be enough. There will no longer be the poor and the rich, the have-nots and the haves. There will be plenty for everyone. And all of this stuff we've been talking about, about daily bread, it all comes together in this feast of communion that we're going to share in in just a minute. Because really, when we take communion, when we share in this meal called the Eucharist, it's like a little entree of the final kingdom. It tastes like an entree too because it's so tiny. But it's like a little taster, a little teaser of that day when there's going to be plenty, when there will be abundance, when the, when the hills will drip with new wine, when the harvest will be plentiful. All those sentiments of the prophets, they'll all be realized in the new creation. And we take this food and as you take it this morning and you sit there with this little piece of bread, and it is going to be real bread this morning, you'll be pleased to know, real bread and some grape juice in your hand. You know, in the first instance, we're reminded that Jesus is our bread, that Jesus is the bread of life. That's, that's the first thing we celebrate at the Eucharist. Jesus is present to us in this sacrament of communion. And take this time just to say, you know, God, I've got all these requests and I've got all this stuff, but first, I just want to acknowledge you are my daily bread. Beyond the stuff I need, what I need is you. I need the one who answers these prayers to be present to me. Jesus is our bread of life. So receive him and hear him offering you this bread and this cup this morning. And as we do that, just hear that open, open, open invitation from Jesus to bring your needs and requests to him, whatever you are struggling with this morning. Whatever you need, whatever the desire of your heart is, you bring that to him this morning. Don't hold back. Don't feel like you can't do it. Don't feel like he doesn't care. Just bring it to him. Just lay it down. Whatever the need, you know what it is. I can't make all the applications, but you bring those needs to him and don't feel any reservation. Remind yourself that he delights when his children come to him with any request, any petition at all. So bring those to the cross. But can I also ask you to do one more thing during communion and and. Bring someone else to the cross. Maybe not physically, but in your mind and heart. Bring someone else. Bring someone you know is struggling this morning. In your prayers, bring them to Jesus. Pray for their daily bread too. Maybe someone in the church you know that's struggling. Maybe someone in, in your family or in the community. If you don't have anyone, just pray for the poor in our world. Pray for those like the Alaran family. Pray that God would raise up men and women of faith to do something about this. With the courage to act. Pray that prayer too. Bring others to the cross because in doing so, we anticipate that great day when our needs will be fully met, but when the needs of all will be met and finally there will be for everyone enough. So let's enter into that time of praying for our daily bread. Would you pray with me? Father, we come to you with all of our struggles and needs hurts, longings, anxieties. And we pray for these now. 
Lord, in this time, in these next few minutes. I pray that we would encounter you in the bread and the juice and hear you welcoming us and inviting us to bring ourselves, our needs, our lives to you again. And Father, bring to our minds those who we need to pray for this morning. Specific people, Lord, if there is someone you want to lay on our heart right now, I pray you'd bring their name into our mind that we could bring them to you as part of this meal too because it pulls us together, not apart from each other. Thank you, Jesus. Your word says that man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Thank you that beyond our prayers, you are the one that we need and you offer yourself to us so freely. So we receive you now and we bring ourselves and our needs to you. In Jesus' name.